1: We continue to keep our eye on the spinning plates that are the political uh, scene these days. There's a big runoff in the state of Georgia for the Senate seats there. And why is that important to people all across the rest of the country? Well, it will determine control of who will set the agenda in the Senate. And will that be a, a trifecta for the Democrats if they take both seats? Uh, they will have control of all aspects of government. Uh, They they would not be able to be stopped from packing the Supreme Court. They would not be able to be stopped on a number of other issues. So these races all of a sudden become very important and they count for something. Uh, But who are the people running and why do they matter? Today in The Federalist, uh, Jordan Davidson uh, writes a detailed summary of why Raphael Warnock, who you may have you may have just been told that he's a, a pastor. That may be the the, the nth degree that the the media has gone to tell you about who he is. But in reality, he's an extremist. He is anything but a man of God, in my estimation. And I want to chat about this with Jordan Davidson, uh, who is a, a writer for The Federalist. Jordan, welcome back to Kevin McCullough Radio. Always good to have you.
2: Thanks for having me, Kevin.
1: What do we know about Warnock?
2: Well, we know that he is not the moderate Democrat that uh, the Democrats want us to believe he is. He is quite radical and progressive in his beliefs, um, ranging from praising Fidel Castro to labeling police officers bullies to saying he's a pro-choice pastor, which many Christians and even um, pastors in Georgia have denounced him for. So we're seeing this kind of radical, extremist, progressive platform being pioneered in Georgia where the Senate, the Republican majority, is on the
1: line. Well, and not only that, it's a a state that's plagued with voter fraud. And we haven't had a chance to really explore the depth of of all that is uh, involved there. But I've got grave concerns that uh, the Stacey Abrams machine is going to be up to its same shenanigans in this runoff that they were up to in the general election. But let's break down some of the things you just mentioned. Um, He loves... Uh, abortion, Castro, and anti-Semites—true or false?
2: True. There are many examples of him uh, saying supportive statements uh, for these progressive and extremist policies, and the worst part of it is, is he says many of them from the pulpit in his church, so praising radical anti-Semitic groups that were even labeled radical by the Southern Poverty Law Center, which usually, um, you know, hands out pretty partisan labels. Uh, he's said he's anti-Israel and pro-Palestinian. He's called Jesus a Palestinian prophet. He has said uh, once again that he's a pro-choice pastor and that he um, avidly supports abortion. He's endorsed by Planned Parenthood's uh, PAC. So we have a lot of these progressive views in the sense of, you know, praising a dictator is something that many Americans will frown upon. Yes, he's doing it, and he's done it openly from his pulpit in sermons that are publicly available.
1: Well, this reminds me of Dr. Jeremiah Wright those number of years ago when he said, not God bless America, but God damn America. Um, It sounds like this guy is just a younger version of that that guy.
2: I I think that's a pretty correct assessment. I mean, we're seeing... These repeated, I mean, these examples span back, not just from this year, they span back, you know, five, ten years of this ideology. And we've seen kind of the circle he runs in. He's run with Stacey Abrams before he used to run her um, organization that she started, which is now under investigation for allegedly sending ballot applications to non-residents. Um, but we've seen him run in these sort of radical circles. But this ideology is nothing new. This is something that, you know, the Democrats are trying to subdue. Joe Biden has even said, you know, we need to tone down the defund the police narrative until after Georgia. We just need Georgia. But you can't tone down this level of progressivism, especially when it stands so far.
1: We talked about the things that he loves, anti-Semites, abortion and Castro. Let's talk about the things that he hates, Israel, babies and police, um, you know Georgia's a a fairly pro-military state they have big military bases there and i would i would think that his comments a few weeks ago saying you cannot be an honorable member of the u.s military and uh, a a person of faith uh, in kind of the same context i would imagine that stuff like that won't play very well i would imagine that the anti-police uh, rhetoric would also hurt him with most voters that aren't you know under his spell you know uh, you know in his congregation
2: right and I think that's correct like I said the Democrats have sort of panicked about these defund on the police narratives or be socialism or the talking against the military because they know those are the things that lost in the down-ballot elections on November in November those are the things that they lost round with and he continues to run with them, and he continues to save them even within the last few weeks. It's not just dredging up from a March 2015 sermon. It's things that he's echoed throughout his entire campaign.
1: Right. He also said, and you, you cited this in your uh, column, he said, we pray for the people of Cuba. This was at the moment of Fidel Castro's death. He said, we remember Fidel Castro, whose legacy is complex. Uh, He said, don't let anyone tell you a simple story. Life usually isn't very simple. His legacy is complex, kind of like America's legacy is complex. He's equating American history and the uh, brutal dictatorship tyranny of one of the most evil uh, dictators that we've seen on uh, planet Earth. uh, Is he not?
2: He is. And that quote even goes further. And he talks about. Uh, likening political prisoners in Cuba and saying that American federal prisons holding, you know, high rates of um, black people in prison are generally equalized. And he continues that in that same eulogy. So he uh, has celebrated that. And he's come under fire for um, being working at a church that praised Fidel Castro in the past. So like I said, I mean, this is a long record. This is something that he has held on to for a long time and has continued to purport during his entire campaign of praising a dictator who literally killed thousands of people.
1: Um the the Israel issue is interesting as well because he has definitively uh, sided with the Palestinians and yet um the president is doing something that everybody told him he couldn't do. He's actually bringing about peace agreements in the Middle East and that's has some, somewhat negated the Palestinian issue. Um, is this uh, is is this going to play importantly to pe- to people that vote in the state of Georgia?
2: I think the hope is yes, it will. Um, seeing how Trump has done these massive peace deals in the last few months, even just in his last four years, and um, you know, saying that Israel is an apartheid state just isn't going to fly. All
1: right, well, friends, I want you to go read uh, Jordan's piece. I've linked it up on my Twitter feed. Here are all the times Georgia Senate candidate Raphael Warnock revealed his most radical beliefs. It's at Federalist.com, and we love the Federalists here at Kevin McCullough Radio. They're doing great work. Jordan Davidson, appreciate you as well. Thank you for being here. Thanks, Adam. Thanks for listening to the Town Hall Review. Our program is coming today in partnership with the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. It's America's most unique graduate leadership programs offered on Pepperdine's breathtaking campus in Malibu, California. Learn more at publicpolicy.pepperdine.edu. If you're enjoying the podcast, please tell a friend to go to Town Hall Review and sign up as well today.
0: This is Jerry Boyer of Town Hall Finance for townhall.com.
1: If they would rather die, perhaps they had better do so and uh, decrease the surplus population.
0: With that quote, Ebenezer Scrooge makes perfectly clear the true political message of A Christmas Carol. Dickens was writing amidst a wave of hysteria about population growth triggered by Thomas Malthus, who argued that reproduction would exceed growth in food. Scrooge was both anti-procreation and anti-marriage. Of course, Scrooge and Malthus, who inspired him, turned out to be wrong. His nephew, Fred, and the ghost of Christmas present turned out to be right. In 1800, there were roughly one billion people on planet Earth. Now, there are almost eight billion. But the lessons from A Christmas Carol ought to give us strength today as well, as we press back against a message of fear, an opposition to capitalism, and an outright hostility to family so prevalent among the woke left. There is no such thing as surplus population. God bless us, everyone. I'm Jerry Boyer. The Pepperdine School of Public Policy, America's unique graduate program for leaders. Learn more at publicpolicy.pepperdine.edu.